Welcome to Manage This, the podcast by project managers for project managers. This is our every other week meeting to talk about what matters to you as a professional project manager. Our aim is not just to help you survive, but also help you grow in your talent and your influence. We talk to those who have been through the ringer and come out on top, people who want to share their successes and their failures with you. I'm your host, Nick Walker, and with me are two success stories, Andy Crow and Bill Yates. And Andy, we welcome back to Manage This a friend and a colleague. Yeah, Alan Zucker. I'm excited he's back here. Uh, the last time we were talking about Agile uh, specifically, and this time we're, we're diving into something uh, kind of interesting that's near and dear to my heart. Well, for those who don't know him, Alan Zucker holds numerous certifications. He's a certified project management professional, is an ITIL Foundation certificate holder, a Scrum Master, a Scale Agilist, and an Agile Certified Practitioner. He has more than 25 years of experience as a leader in Fortune 100 companies. He's delivered thousands of successful projects for them and managed multi-million dollar programs with hundreds of resources. In 2016, he founded Project Management Essentials to provide training and advisory services. He is frequently called on as a keynote speaker and is also an adjunct instructor at Northern Virginia Community College. Alan, welcome back to Manage This. It's really a pleasure to be here. There's something I believe most of us share, and that is the fact that we're busy, we're active, we're constantly creating something. But unlike a product that we can hold in our hand, what we create is, is less tangible. It's, it's hard to see. Kind of reminds me, in contrast of my first real job. When I was a teenager, I worked in the mailroom of a local community newspaper. Hmm. Our product was obvious. You could see it, feel it, read it. It it rubbed off on you in more ways than one. (laughs) But not every paper was fit to send out. Some of them were smudged, some of them were torn, wrinkled. And at the end of the day, we gathered up the waste and tossed it. Like our product, our waste was easy to identify. We knew exactly how many papers came off the press exactly how many we had to throw away. But how do you measure waste in this intangible world of project management? You know, it's really interesting. There's a, there's a, there's a big movement afoot, you know, which is the lean movement. You know, when lean came to us from manufacturing, particularly from Toyota. Toyota. Yeah, Toyota's, you know, Toyota lean manufacturing model. And when you're talking about cars, waste is clear. You know, waste is inventory, waste is transport. Waste is the scrap that they throw away at the end of the day. When we're talking about knowledge work, it's really harder to see waste and to manage waste. And a lot of times when people talk about waste in knowledge work, they try to use the analogies of of a manufacturing. They talk about transport and inventory and scrap. And it really doesn't carry over that well. And so when we talk about waste and knowledge work, there's um, eight or nine different forms of waste. And it's things such as um, extra features. It's work that started that's never finished. Because you start work, you put forth effort, but until that's a final product in your boss's hands or it's, um, it's either software that you've developed, it's that presentation, it's that report, it doesn't provide any value. Heroics is another big form of waste. And we see that in a lot of cultures where you've got that hero culture. And you've got one person that's the hero, and that's the go-to person. And we all love the hero. In a lot of cultures, we love the hero. But what you've got is you've got one hero, and you've got the rest of the team that's not working. Or that's, they're working, but they're not the ones that are being engaged 
and you don't have all the minds engaging on the on the problem. So, Alan, just heroics, that's a great topic there on waste. But I don't get that. I mean, if I've got a top performer on my team, I'm happy. If I have two, that's awesome because somebody's not going to be carrying their weight on my project team. So I need some heroes, right? Well, you know, one of, one of my favorite examples, Bill, and, and you saw it in, in the class the other day, is when you talk about Toyota, and they talk about the Andon cord. And the Andon cord is the cord that runs along the Toyota manufacturing line. And if any worker sees a problem that they can't resolve quickly, they're, they're empowered to pull that cord. And it stops the production line. And everybody on that line comes around and swarms the issue, and they help resolve the problem. And I always ask my students, so how many times do you think people you know, pull that cord? And they're like, ah, you know, maybe 10 times a day. And like, no, that's, you know, that's too many. Toyota manufacturing plant in Tennessee, they pull that cord thousands of times a day. And everybody comes around and helps resolve the problem. And so, you know, if you've got a situation where the, the entire team is working together, you've got the power of the team. And I always like to say, you know, I might be smarter than any particular person on my team, but there is no way that I am smarter than the power of my entire team working together to solve something. The wisdom of crowds. You yeah. know, I go back in time, though. This is funny. This idea of heroics um, comes in a lot because organizations will a lot of times get into a situation of perverse incentives. And here's, here's where I'm going with that. You have an outstanding hero on the team. And this is the person I, I worked on an, in an organization where this person was key to the organization. They would get into trouble on a project and they would send this person in. He would parachute in. Um, he would code for days and he would come out with a somewhat working product. Everybody was in awe of him. Then he'd take a week off. They would throw money at him uh, because he <laughs> would know. And, and now what you're doing is perpetuating this cycle. Mm. Um, so it's interesting when you look at this idea of heroics because uh, the hero loved it. Uh, he loved the attention. He loved being indispensable. He loved being the hero, and he loved the extra money. Uh, the organization had built sort of a myth culture around this person, mm -hmm. and ultimately it cost that organization dearly through rework and through mistakes. Uh, it was a, it was an ugly situation. And it also creates a lot of fragility. You know, it creates fragile code. It creates fragile knowledge. One of the interesting things that when you look at extreme programming and other pieces of agile, it's the idea that the, the team owns the code, that people don't own the code individually. So you've got a hero. He comes in. He saves the day. You know, there's the old thing. He goes off and he wins the lottery. Mm -hmm. Then what happens? Who can then maintain that code? Right. And the rest of the team gets demotivated in that kind of culture. Right. I, I bet you've never heard the phrase, my code's self-documenting. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need comments. I, yeah. My code's self-commenting. Sure yeah, it is. And I, always, sure. I always worry when I hear that phrase. Well, for good reason. But, but again, a hero wants to be indispensable, uh, needs to be indispensable, and so there's no incentive to comment his or her code. Right? Yeah. The incentive, in fact, there's perverse incentives once again. And so getting rid of that culture, that's tricky, especially if your organization has it in its DNA. Yeah. And I, and I don't a lot know of you, consulting companies do. A lot of, I think a lot of every kind of company does. I think it's really hard to change that culture. And I think it's really telling that whenever I ask my students that question about, you know, how many times a day do they pull the and on court? 
I don't think I've ever had anybody that says more than 100 times. Well, mm. I find it astonishing from the standpoint that my workflow as a production employee would be interrupted um, that often. That that I have a hard time getting my mind around, too. So I understand their confusion. It, it is, I'd like to see it uh, in use and see how practically it works to do it. But it's, it's pretty amazing. Well, you know, one of the other one of the other aspects of lean is fixing problems at the source. Mm. And that fixing a problem at the source is much, much cheaper than fixing it later. Right. And um, there's a guy named Capers Jones who's done some phenomenal work on software quality. And he yep. talks about the cost <laughs> of fixing problems further down the line. And it's it's exponential. Yes. And when I when I talk about it in class and I use the the um, analogy of Toyota. The recall is a great example. Well, sure. Recall is a great example, but I also talk about, imagine this, you're the guy that's putting the screws in the door. You know, you drop the screw into the door, just it falls down. I need to pull that cord. I need to probably just take another 30 seconds to reach in, fish that screw out. It's, it's a small stop. Now imagine that door gets to the, to the QA. So they got to take the door off the car, they got to take, disassemble it, they got to pull the screw out. Imagine it doesn't get caught there, and a consumer buys that car. they got their brand-new car. They're driving down the road, and they hear click, 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 click every time they go over a bump. So now they've, the consumer's got to go back to the dealership, and it's a whole big production. And it's also a loss of reputation right. that they, I've got you know, this, this rattle in my door, and if, if we would have taken another 15 seconds or 30 seconds on the line, we could have fished that screw out. And it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been there. So there's a tremendous practice among, uh, I know Lockheed specifically, and uh, the Air Force also does this, where they are uh, fastidious about checking for foreign object debris, FOD, mm -hmm. uh, on runways in any production facility. You check your shoes. You do it meticulously each time. You check the tire treads. They have people out on the runway checking anything that's coming onto the runway. And the reason is they don't want you tracking in some pebble that gets down in a grate somewhere and rattles and drives the customer crazy from then on. They want to deliver a clean product. Um, I, have, uh, I have been to a Toyota manufacturing facility, and it was utterly spotless. It was shocking how clean it was. And so this idea, yeah, it, it gets into it. I see exactly where you're going with that. Yeah. And there's, there's a lot of other aspects of, you know, when we talk about lean and we talk about waste. Um, one, of the, one of the things I love to talk about the most is multitasking. Mm -hmm. We all multitask, but none of us really multitask. We task switch. And, um, you know, I, I heard something recently where there's an estimate that we lose between 20% and 40% of our, of our productivity when we go from one thing to another. And that could either be the time it takes to you know, put away one set of work and pick up the next set. It could be the idea that you need to get your head back into the game. And when you start talking about that, the, you know, the, the effect of multitasking, it becomes really interesting. So I tell people, you're a project manager. You're working on one project. You're spending 40 hours a week working on that project. You have two projects. Now you're spending Eight, if you assume 20 hours a week of, uh, I'm sorry, 20% of waste or from task switching, now you're losing eight hours mm -hmm. to task switching. So you've got 32 hours. So you're really only working 16 hours on both of the projects. When you get to three projects, 
you're now spending more time task switching than you are on either of your projects and or any of your projects. And I think that waste and that loss of capacity is huge. Alan, I can relate to that with uh, projects that I was working on back in the day with utilities. And I think of the software implementations that we were doing, the most effective time we had as a team, we'd have to say, we'd have to admit to it, was when we were on site at the customer's location working with their team. That you know, there, right. there's, a, there's an accountability built mm-hmm. in there. I'm not going to be working on, let's say, Tucson Electric's power if I'm at Pacific Gas and Electric. That's not going to happen, right? right? So you're focused on the client, and you're so at least that element of multitasking wasn't taking place. Now within the project work, you know, there's still times where maybe I need to to drive something to completion before I go to that next issue. So there, you know, there's a lot of decision making that goes on there. But I can absolutely say at a at a macro level, the most effective work that we would do on project teams is when we were focused maybe think about a war room mm-hmm. or we were on site with the customer and, and really doing that so yeah i can relate that to real work and it can also be on the micro level you know one of the things that i really fight hard to not do is task switch in the middle of doing something mm-hmm. so what i'll frequently do is i'll, I'll start something out you know and, it's, and i'll fire up my web browser to find something and it's moving slow. So I just go to my email and I start looking at my emails and then the browser comes up and then I've got like two ma- emails open and even something that small, you know, the time to go back, it's like, what was I gonna execute next? Yeah. If I just would have spent that extra 15 seconds and been patient and waited for the application to load, I would have been better off rather than starting three other things wow. and then getting you know half of something done Plus, you got that browser open, so you just started shopping for some new hiking boots <laughs> yeah. or, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Email, to me, is a key culprit here, though, and productivity experts talk to us about it all the time. There was a great Dilbert cartoon where uh, a character asked Wally, have you read that email I sent? And Wally said, if I open my email in the morning, then I'm going to have 30 things that dictate new priorities for me. So, no, I haven't looked at it. And she said, well, will you get to it tomorrow? And he said, you should try and live in the moment. So, <laughs> um, th- th- but there's this idea. I turn email off a good portion of the day. And uh, we encourage people here in the office to do it as well. Not all day and not every worker can. Some workers need to be highly responsive, mm-hmm. especially to customer issues. But in general, um, I need to stay away. And the most evil thing about it, the, the most pernicious one is when the little bubble pops up with a message that's Mm. come in. You don't even have to click on it anymore now. It's going to get your attention. And so email is fighting for your Mm -hmm. your attention at every moment. And I cannot stay on task. I task switch pretty well, Um, maybe better than average, maybe not. I don't know. But I task switch pretty quickly. But you can go down the rabbit hole instantly with email. Yeah, a really good friend of mine, you know, one of my favorite podcasts is Manager Tools, um, and Mark Horseman talks about doing email three times a day. Mm. You know, you do it in the morning, you sort of do it mid-afternoon, and you do it at the end of the day. And I haven't gotten to that level of discipline, but I know when I've been in this situation where I'm able to put all of the um, distractions away, I can just chug through things. And I am amazingly efficient, but when I've got the distractions and I'm looking at what's coming in or I'm like, got my browser open and I'm looking at something else, you know, I can just get lost in doing things. 
So we've talked about a few areas of waste already, but what other things do we really need to be wary of? Yeah, one of the things that I see, particularly when I'm working with IT organizations, is the notion of waste coming from motion, handoffs, and waiting. And you often see that when you've got groups that you know don't have end-to-end responsibility, and you've got to call in another group, a support group, to do a piece of the work for you. So you, you've got you got to a point you need to submit a, a help ticket, and you've got a group that's going to like say set up your environment for you, and they've got a two or three day you know service level agreement for them to do that. So you've got there, and you're waiting for that other group before you can do that step. Um, actually, not too long ago, I was involved in a project where, as the director, I got pulled in to help this project along. And it, it had been a long time since I had actually rolled up my sleeves and got my hands dirty. And, you know, we the project wasn't going well, and we would have these daily meetings at 9 o'clock. And I swear to God, it seemed like things got off the rails at, by 11 o'clock. <laughs> and no one got, no one sort of we didn't reconvene again until the next morning. So we lost basically an entire day till we reconve- reconvened and we got everybody back on the same page. So we lost, you know, you know, every day we probably lost a half a day's worth of effort just because we were waiting or because we were waiting from handoffs from one person to do part of a job till they could hand it off to the other person to do the other part of the job. And no one had that end-to-end responsibility. And that's also another form of waste that we see a lot of in technology. I see the I see the value of flowcharting here is just glaring to me. You know, I think I'm thinking of TSA wait lines, <laughs> thinking of transportation projects that are going on and seeing resources that are standing and waiting. I'm like, why are what? There are ten guys with hard hats on that are waiting on the side of the road. What's going on? Then you see, you know, maybe a large crane being moved into position. So there there's like some real obvious things that I think of. But I it's so frustrating even on software development when there are steps that we've done. And it's almost back to leads and lags, building them into our schedule. But there's this, there's waste going on. You've got people with knowledge that need to be doing something. Like you said, there needs to be a role of someone mm-hmm. above this who's orchestrating this. So whose role is that to make sure we're eliminating that waste? Well, one of the things that you know the project manager or a process owner can do that's really, really valuable is what we call value stream mapping. You know, and the idea of looking at the value stream end to end and looking at what we're doing, and looking at the things that provide value. And value is defined as what provides value to the customers. Right. You know, what contributes directly to the product. So some of the things that we do, particularly when we're doing a, a project, we do reporting, we do approvals, we have, you know, lots of meetings. And a lot of those things are necessary. I mean, we have some approvals. We need to have, you know, some level of reporting. But those things don't add value to the end product. So we really, really should evaluate what we do and say, is that really necessary? And some of those controls are necessary, but some of them may not be. And if you can start stripping some of that out, the flow becomes easier. We're actually adding the the productive capacity to our days, and we're able to be more efficient in what we do. Alan, I go back. Um, I have a lot of passion for this particular topic, and there are a lot of reasons behind it. One of them is um, I've mentioned on the podcast before I own an event rental company with my oldest son, and we rent tents, tables, chairs, staging, dance floors, linens. But the amount of potential waste in that business is astonishing. Mm. And we've gone back and started implementing a lean system 
uh, a lean-inspired system to root out the waste. And uh, in that system, which is it has so much in common with what you're talking about, it's a little tuned a little bit differently, but you have really three big categories, uh, the Japanese uh, categories of muda, mura, and muri. And the muda is the one that says any activity, this is what you were talking about with value stream mapping, any activity that doesn't add value gets eliminated. And so now you become really focused on what people are doing, how they're doing their job, and making sure that every activity, every motion uh, adds value. And then the, the mura is the waste of unevenness when, you, when you're you know, crushing in crisis time and then uh, so forth. I've got, a, I've got a friend who owns a company that makes kayaks, and they have uh, a huge problem with unevenness. Now, he's doing amazingly well. He's having kind of jaw-dropping success with the company, but one problem he has, he has to rent a warehouse that is absolutely enormous. It gets full of product, and then within 48 hours, that warehouse is empty again. Mm. And so he has this ballooning problem, which is kind of Mura. And then Murray is the overburdening, you know, the soul-crushing, dehumanizing work that we put on people, which can also <laughs> yeah. tie back to this. And so, so there's a lot of overlap in the, in the two worlds between knowledge uh, workers Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and the, the sort of the physical world as well. And I think the big difference there is it's really apparent in the physical world. You know, you can, your, your friend can see the inventory yes. coming and going in and out of the warehouse, but it becomes much harder to see that in knowledge work. You know, right. it's really hard to see the And we call it possible. crunch time in yeah. the knowledge work. That's, you know, we mm-hmm. say, ah, oh, I'm, you know, heads down, things yeah. like that. Right. Yeah, or, or it's we're, we're, we're focusing on something that, you know, does that really provide value? So one of the things that was really interesting when I was supporting the accounting group is we went through a value stream analysis. And we looked at how much effort we were spending on the different pieces of the revenue stream versus the effort that we were expending to do that accounting. And, you know, out of a billion-dollar revenue stream, one of the things that we saw is we had, you know, an old small product that were maybe billing about $100,000 a month. But we were spending a lot of time trying to, to capture the revenue for that. And what we realized is we could easily just estimate the revenue that month. And then if there was a variance, we could just true it up the next month. And any of those differences were really immaterial. But what we did is we created a lot of capacity for the, the accountants that were working on that to work on things that were much more important and much more material and much more valuable to the company. There's another time waster that sometimes rears its ugly head, and that is unnecessary features in a project. Let's talk about that a little bit. Sure. So one of the really interesting things, and this really goes also with the notion of gold plating. We should never be Mm -hmm. gold plating. And people think, you know, we, we should build those extra features because that'll really delight the customer. And really a different way of looking at it is the effort that we're spending to make that that extra feature, make that thing a little bit shinier or a little bit slicker or a little bit cooler, we might be able to have spent that time developing three or four other things that might have cumulatively added much more value and really made the product that much better. There are so many problems with gold plating and extra features. And uh, recently, a horrific security hole was found uh, in a very popular operating system, and it was using an undocumented function call I'm sure some developer put it in there, thought it was a great idea, 
We won't document it. It doesn't have to go through all the quality process. It doesn't even have to go through all the security checks. Hmm. And then it left a wide open door. So there's so many problems with extra features, which seem like they're great. Back, you know, when I first started, that was exactly what you said. It's a way to delight the customer. And then you find out, uh oh, <laughs> you hmm. know. Well, and it also really plays in with the notion of agile that I really like, which is building incrementally and just complete and doing minimum viable products and building piece by piece over time and you learn. So if I'm able to get more feature and functionality into this build, that gives me a greater opportunity to see what my customers like with what I've got versus really polishing it because they may not really like what we've done. And I, I love to tell the story about um, you know when we were building one of the applications, my customer said, Alan, we wanna get an email notification every time a file is loaded into the application. I'm like, guys, you realize there's 16 billing runs, each billing run creates at least four files, and then we have the opportunity for reruns. And it turns out we were loading like 350, 400 files a month. It's like, no, we really, really need to have this feature before we launch the application. I'm like, please, no, no, we have to. So we built, the app, we built that feature in the application, you know, and it, and it took capacity away from what we were doing at the end of, the, of this project. First month in, first thing they said, dude, you are just crushing my inbox. <laughs> All I see is load notifications. Mm. Can you turn that off? Mm. And that's, you know, that's a real tangible example where we built that feature. We could have deployed earlier. We could have used that time more wisely to do other things. And it was something that's like, can you turn that off? We really, really don't like that. Ultimately, it represents waste for everybody. It really did. Don Norman is a, a guru on design, and uh, he would agree with this 100%. He talks a lot about, in his writing, he talks a lot about uh, building features that we, as the builder of those features and product, we're convinced that they're going to provide value. And then they're put out there in the wild, in the real world, and we see the customer either doesn't use them or even if the customer asks for it, like in the, the yeah. example of this, they find it to be incredibly annoying and unuseful. And uh, so there's a great lesson in there for me, both on the design side and then after we have implemented features, we've got to go back. We have to have that discipline to go back and ask the customer, what are you using? What's adding value? What's not? What's annoying you? Yeah. you know? What do we need to remove? And and that's really, that's really critical. I mean, there, there's two stories that come to mind. One is... Um, one of the companies I was working with, we were setting up a process for bringing in uh, project requests. And it was this very, very complicated process, you know, lots of handles. It was, it was beautifully architected. And I said, this isn't going to work in the real world. Too many handles, too much wait mm -hmm. time, too much expectation that, you know, senior management's going to be engaged. We implemented it, and it, and it really just, it just was, was a huge waste. Mm -hmm. Um, another thing is, you know, not too long ago, I was working with this company, and we were setting up um, for their agile transformation. And we were talking about what did we want to capture in the trouble tickets, you know, that, that we were going to capture as part of, of the Kanban board. And the product owner and the tester were saying, oh, we need to capture all this other information. And, you know, it was a very interesting team, very interesting team dynamic. The developers were, were introverts. They were very quiet. And I said, you know, can you guys just be quiet for a second? I want to hear from the developers because they're the guys that are going to have to both do the work and they're the ones that will potentially benefit from having this additional information. So I said, what do you guys want? 
You're like, no, nah, that's, that's not going to help us. Mm-hmm. And it's just going to be more work that we right. have to do to fill out these tickets. So uh, a, a road construction crew got out to a job site about 25 miles away from their uh, office and the supervisor realized, oh, no, we've left all of our shovels back in the toolbox uh, back at work. So he called his manager and he said, I'm terribly embarrassed. Uh, I know this introduces a lot of waste and I'm, I'm really ashamed, but I've left the shovels there. The, supervi- uh, the manager said, um, yeah, this is an emergency. And I'll tell you what, since you won't have shovels, why don't you all just lean on each other until I get there with them? <laughs> <laughs> All right. With that, with that, Alan Zucker, thanks so much for taking time to be with us. We, we didn't need any shovels to, to, today. Yeah. And I can honestly say this has not been wasted time. We appreciate you. Also, we just appreciate, Andy, your uh, humor and your insight. Bill, thanks so much as well. We want to take this opportunity to remind our listeners of the double benefit you get from listening to these podcasts. In addition to the valuable information from our guests, you also earn free PDUs, professional development units toward your recertifications. To claim them, go to Velociteach.com and select Manage This Podcast from the top of the page. Click the button that says Claim PDUs and just click through the steps. You can always visit us at Velociteach.com slash Manage This to subscribe to this podcast, to see a transcript of the show, or to contact us. And tweet us at manage underscore this if you have any questions about our podcasts or about project management certifications. We are here for you. That's all for this episode. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, keep calm and manage this.